thought I saw Mary Lou in here sitting back in the corner. I can't tell with the light now. But Mary Lou, if you are in here, um, I want to apologize because I canceled my vision appointment. How many of you guys, you, you get a little tense when you have to get your eyes examined? It's like that whole process, you, you know, it's like you sit in that chair and then they, they say, okay, what do you see? And they've got like these triple Coke bottle lenses over your eyes and you're like, you can't see anything, you know, so you're humiliated right from the start. And then they start that, this one or this one, this one or this one, this one or this one. And it's, it's tense, it's pressure. I have been tempted. And perhaps you want to try this before I do. And I canceled my appointment because it was too much pressure. I have been tempted right in the middle when they're going this one or this one, this one or this one, to just scream as loud as I could and say, I see dead people. (laughs) (laughs) Just to break the tension of the whole moment. Well, I wish they would just assign me the, the little fold-up cane and give me, you know, the dog and let it be over with, but it's, it's not the way that it goes. We're going to look at some scripture in just a minute, but we're going we're gonna to think about seeing things that are unseen. Now, first of all, I'm going to give you a list of things and pretend you're in that chair and it's this one or this one, this one or this one. Which one of these attitudes, attributes, internal conditions would you want and which would you not want? And we're going somewhere with this. Here we go. Would you want enthusiasm or apathy? Purpose or purposelessness? Understanding or confusion? Hope or hopelessness? Certainty or uncertainty? Now, what if I were to say to you, now I'm just going to assume that we all wanted the ones in the first column. We want certainty, we want hope, we want purpose, you know, we want enthusiasm, we don't want the ones in the other column. And the reason that we all probably want the ones in the first column is because we're made by Christ, for Christ. We're made in his image. And these things are like hardwired into us. We, we are meant to experience these things. We're not meant to experience these things on the other side. But if you're in that chair and the lens is going this one, this one, this one, this one, we all could pretty quickly pick. Now, what if, what if the, the truth is whether we think about it, whether we don't think about it, whether we like it, whether we don't like it, what if the truth was that we would inevitably drift toward this column unless we are able and willing, notice the two go together, able and willing, sometimes we're able but we're not willing, sometimes we're willing but we're not able, but able and willing to see the unseen. In other words, what I'm saying, what if it's contingent that unless you and I are able and willing to regularly live in light of the unseen see the unseen we will find ourselves drifting inevitably toward that that negative column and perhaps we could just kind of drift for a moment and sort of register where where we drift right now are you more enthusiastic or more apathetic are you more hope filled or hopeless are you more certain or or confused I mean we could just kind of play that off but it's based on seeing the unseen we're in a series called the paradoxes of life and each week I've said that sometimes spiritual truths seem paradoxical to us paradox is something that is true even though it doesn't seem or look true when you first hear it spiritual truth seems paradoxical to us because first of all we don't know how much we don't know Uh, almost all of us being human we think we know more than we really know we don't know how much we don't know Second thing is, is we don't know how much Christ, the creator of the universe, every atom in it, every molecule, we don't know how much he really does know. We, we tend to have this, this uh, strange assessment of what Christ knows. It's kind of like, for example, 
Well, Christ knows about spiritual things. When it comes to running my business, let me have my hands on the wheel. Well, this is just nonsensical. He is the author of all that is good, all that is right, all that is intelligent, all that is worthwhile. So we don't know how much we don't know. We don't know how much Christ knows. Therefore, spiritual truth, it's actual true truth, core truth, it sometimes seems, whoa, are you kidding me? That, that doesn't seem right from what I understand and experience. So we're going to go to a passage of Scripture uh, in the book of 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul, led by the Spirit of God to write this letter to the followers of Christ living in Corinth, uh, before I dive right into the passage, I want to give you a little background in the whole fourth chapter where you're there. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, when you get there, this man called the Apostle Paul, he's been following Christ for over 22 years. He would follow Jesus for about 32 years in totality before he was martyred by Nero because of his devotion to Christ. But at this stage, he's gone through an awful lot simply because he was determined to speak to everybody that he could and tell them the truth about God and the truth about life. He felt that that was more valuable than anything else, and he underwent a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of conflict, and a lot of sufferings because of it. Now, in the fourth chapter, he's going to start off in the first four or five verses just kind of bemoaning something that he found. And if you read it on your own sometimes, what he finds is this. He says that many, many people that he spoke to about Christ, they simply were not interested. And he says the reason they were not interested is because the God of this age, small g, if you look at it very carefully, he's talking about Lucifer, he's talking about Satan, he's talking about a falling angel, fallen angel. He says the God of this age has blinded the minds of those that reject the gospel or are disinterested in the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ, because something has happened to them. And he's talking about a condition that, that has happened by living in this world, living in this age. We desire other things and we are enamored with other things and we're content with other things. And when we hear the message of Christ and the kingdom of God, some people just sort of, oh, well, man, that's, that's, that's your deal. If you need that, that's cool. And Paul is, is wrecked because of that. Then he goes on from there and he starts listing out a number of the sufferings and things that he has underwent in seeking to extend the message of Christ to as many people as he can cross-culturally. So all of that is leading up to what we're going to read. So I'm just trying to give you some context. So here we go, 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 6, 16. For this reason, remember this reason being so many people are blinded by the small g God of this age and they're not interested in Christ, the sufferings he underwent in the verses previous. For this reason, we never become, what is the word? Discouraged. And that's a big statement. We never become discouraged even though our physical being is gradually decaying, yet our spiritual being is renewed day after day he's talking about some re-energizing process that's happening to him on an inward level and this small and temporary trouble we suffer will bring us a tremendous and eternal glory much greater than the trouble it goes on for we fix our attention not on the things that are seen but on the things that are unseen there's the paradox how do you fix your attention on something that you cannot see. We fix our attention on the things that are unseen rather than the things that are seen. But on the things that are unseen, what can be seen lasts only for a time, but what cannot be seen lasts forever. Anybody in here know who the richest man on the, in the world is right now? Say that loud if you think you know. Elon Musk. Pretty much what I know. Now, I don't know. I don't know when Elon Musk's life on this planet is going to end. I don't know. But here's what I do know. 
do you know how much Elon Musk is going to take with him when his life on this planet ends? Nothing. Most of everything that we work for, sweat for, plan for, agonize for, you know where it ends up? It ends up in a, in a dump, a land dump somewhere. Now, I'm not saying that these things don't matter. They do matter for a time. You have to put them in a, in a you know, kind of a wise context. But we can easily get absorbed and kind of taken off path, taken off trajectory by these things. So why is seeing the unseen so important? Let's look at that. Seeing the unseen, why does this even matter? I mean, you're probably sitting here today saying, oh, man, why did I come out to this message? Uh, I wanted to hear something that was going to help me with this problem I got. I, I got this, this heart-wrenching thing. I got this major decision to make. I've got this challenge. I've got this struggle. How in the world does talking about this pie in the sky by and by, how, how is this going to make any significant difference in my life in the here and now? Seeing the unseen, why does this even matter? Well, I'm going to take you through some scriptures, and we're going to kind of unpack these, and I hope you will see from, from a very practical, objective level that seeing the unseen, it, it doesn't just matter. It matters tremendously. It is the difference between that long list of things that I started with, apathy or enthusiasm, certainty or uncertainty. Uh, let's go look at this passage. Here we go. The Apostle Peter writing, and he's writing right about the time that Nero was killing Christians. And Peter himself is martyred in 67 AD, as was the Apostle Paul, by Nero. Real historical figures. Let me tell you the difference in the Bible and any other religious writing on the planet. It is rooted in real history. It can, t it can stand the test of objective analysis. We have been born again, says Peter, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. So he's starting off with it. Well, let me just go back for a minute. Uh, he's starting off with just a couple of single thoughts. He's saying, look, you that are following Jesus, persecution was breaking out under the Roman Empire when he wrote this. If you read the book of 1 Peter very carefully, the theme of Christian suffering is prominent. By the way, uh, how many of you ever, ever follow with me on my teaching moments that I do Monday, Monday Tuesday, Wednesday of every week? Uh, they're like five to seven minutes on that. We just started on teaching moments going through the book of 1 Peter. So if you're interested, I'm going to go word for word, line for line through the book of 1 Peter in the teaching moments, about five to seven minute segments each day. Okay. But he's, he's trying to root in their mind that even though you Christians are going through a turbulent time, a, a difficult time, you have some certainties. You, you have some things that you can set, fixate your expectations on. Nothing can take them. You have an inheritance. And this heritage is kept in a place that is beyond sight. It is a real realm, just as much of the universe is beyond our sight. It's a real realm, but you can't see it now. But it is there. Nothing can take it. Nothing can touch it. It's going to far outweigh whatever you go through here. He goes on. So be truly glad. He's saying, because of this inheritance that you cannot see in a realm that you've never seen or heard from, be truly glad. He's saying, count on it. There is wonderful joy ahead. There either is or there isn't. Either all the writers of the Bible are liars, including Jesus, or there is an inheritance and there is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure, what does it say? Many trials. Pause. Randy, I'm, I turned my whole life around. I, 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 heard, I heard the message of Christ. 
I put my trust in him. I became his follower. Man, I started getting in the word of God. I started letting the word of God get in me. I started doing everything that the Bible taught me to do. I stopped doing what it told me to stop doing. And honestly, man, I'm getting my butt kicked. Everything is getting worse and worse. It's not getting better and better. I don't get it. Why? Why isn't God showing up? Why would he, if he loves me the way you say he loves me, Randy, why would you, why would he let this continue to happen to me? It just seems to go from bad to worse. Why? Curious. Anybody heard a, a tale like that? Anybody maybe lived a tale like that? Can I see your hands? But should we be surprised I mean, James, James chapter 1, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials, temptations, parasmos is the Greek word, of many, many kinds. Here it says, Though you must endure many trials, normative, he's saying, for a little while. <laughs> How long is a little while? As long as we live. But if I were to draw a line out representing eternity, in fact, I did this once years ago. I had a rope that went all around the entire auditorium, and everybody kind of got a hold of the rope, and I said, okay, that rope represents eternity, and, and a dot, one dot, represents our life compared to eternity. Now, it seems like a long time for us when we're going through the trials, particularly when we're in the midst of a difficult one. But he says, you must endure these trials for a little while. These trials will show. Now notice, these trials have a purpose. They have a meaning. These trials will show that your faith, your trust is what? Genuine. Likelihood is, each of us have known people that for a season, for a time, uh, they appeared to be authentic followers of Christ. They seem to have actually put their trust in Christ and become his follower, maybe for years. And then all of a sudden, something occurs, and they completely walk away from Christ, completely start living a, a, a different lifestyle. And in many cases, let me rephrase that, in some cases, we'll even say they don't even believe in God anymore. They're, they're not sure that they ever did. Something like that. Now, I'm not going to ask you for your hands. I did it in the first service, and there were multiple hands. We've most likely all met people like that or heard stories like that to see whether one's faith, one's trust in Christ is genuine, these trials bring this stuff to the surface. When things are not going good in my life, what do I do? Do I, do I shake my fist at, at God and say, you know, I don't know about trusting you. You're letting all these things happen to me. Or do we say, you told me, Lord, that in this life we're going to have troubles. You said in John 16, be of good cheers. John 16, 33, all through the Bible, you're going to have trials. And so God, I'm just, I just want to be faithful to you in this. Just give me clarity. Show me what is the right way to handle this thing. And that's what I'll do. When God sees that, it shows that, that no matter what circumstance we face, my trust in Christ is unshakable. I've said this before, and it's not a claim because I think I'm that good. I'm, I'm no different than anybody else. But I can tell you one thing. There's nothing that hell or life can dish out that can ever shake my trust in Christ. I don't care. I'm not trying to be, you know, offensive to you. But frankly, I don't care if every one of you in here were to turn away from, turn away from Christ. I would not. I don't care if the whole world turned away from Christ. I would not. He has captured my heart, my affection, my trust, and I will love him forever. I, I can do no other. 
no trial, no trial should shake our trust, our faith, but it should bring it to the surface and show that it's existent, that it's strong, that it's pure, and it can grow through the trials. It will bring you much praise. So going through the trial and showing authentic trust in Christ, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor. We're talking about future functions, future positions. I mentioned last week that in this life, we are always auditioning for our positions and function in eternity. And don't think in terms of, you know, being prestigious. Think in terms of expanded opportunities to serve because Jesus said the one that is great is the one that is the servant of all. It will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. That's the second coming of Christ. So he's saying these trials you go through, they have meaning. They have purpose. They, they have ramifications in this life. They have ramifications all the way into eternity. So he's saying that there's purpose. Now, now, now let me just kind of make this practical. Um, let me tell you a little story. story of a young man, and he takes a job in a, in a company, and it's a very, very lowly job that is given to him. And he's one of these guys, and I don't know if you've ever seen this phenomenon in a company anywhere before, but he, he, he just becomes the target. He becomes the butt of everybody's joke. Everybody can size this guy up quickly, and he's easy to mess with. He's easy to, to denigrate. He's easy to take advantage of. And so the other workers, they're always poking fun at him. They're always running him down. They're always pushing him around in various ways. And this goes on and on. Ten years, this guy keeps showing up. And here's the interesting thing about him, though. When he shows up for work, he's cheerful, he's happy. It doesn't matter what terrible things, what insults are dished out to him, what dirty job he is assigned, how much the other workers are taking advantage of him. doesn't matter. This dude is one of these kind of whistle-while-you-work sort of guys. He's just cheerful, he's just working, he just gives it his all. A couple weeks go by, and the workers, the other workers notice he's gone. They don't see him anymore. He's, he's not there. And all of a sudden, one day, he appears, but, but he's in this really expensive suit, and everybody's like, look at my man here showing up in, in these expensive does. And one of them says to him, says, oh, what, the owner of the company die and make you boss? And the young man speaks up and he says, no, no, the owner of the company didn't die. But dad did say my 10 years training has come to an end <laughs> and I'm owning the company now. <laughs> he knew that his trials, you gotta follow this, what kept him cool under the collar? What kept him whistling while he worked? What kept him empowered to endure the mistreatment? Some of you, you really got to hear this because you're not being treated well. You're not feeling good about things, and you're correct in not feeling good about them. But it doesn't mean that they're going to change or at least not change as fast or in the way that you or I would like. But if we fixate on this certainty, this certain inheritance, this certain future, and why should we fixate it? Because the one that promised it rose from the dead. And there is tremendous, compelling, objective evidences for that resurrection. But if we have this certainty, it changes everything. Then Peter talked about these trials, trials, you know. And he says, they have a purpose. They have meaning. Whatever you go through in this life, it's got a meaning. God is watching. He's watching to see how you respond to the trials. How many of you ladies in here have, have uh, given birth? Can I see your hands? All right. Now, I don't know. I don't know. I, I hear rumors, but <laughs> I hear that it hurts a little bit. Is, is there any truth to this? Okay. I mean, the terms, the terms throw me off. I mean, 
terms like labor, you're going to, I, th- I picture hard hats and tool belts and things when, when I hear the word labor. And uh, delivery, I picture the UPS guy in shorts showing up, you know, not, not delivering a baby. But the terminology is, is, is difficult. But, you know, in the midst of it, in the midst of it, when it feels the least comfortable, you endure it. Why? Because you know it's worth it. You know it has purpose. You know it has meaning. I'm going somewhere with this. When we know that there is purpose and meaning in our lives, in our experiences, in our sufferings, in our worst pain, it gives us, it gives us this, this power, this ability to walk through it, to have strength, to even be enthusiastic. When, when you moms are, you know, you're, you're at that last stage, man, you're... You're both in pain and yet you're enthusiastic because you know soon you're going to hear that little cry and it's going to be, that baby's going to be giving you and they're, they're going to say, oh, you got a baby boy or, oh, you got a baby girl. Yes, they will say that. That's what they've said all through human history. And don't you let them say anything else. Yeah. But you understand that the trial, that the pain that you wish weren't there it's worth it. It's worth it. You, you get to bring a life. You get to be entrusted by God with a life that you bring into the world. When we know something has meaning, when we know it's worth going through something, it changes us inside. Let, let, let me take you one more. This is going to take you to a place that is the last place we tend to think about. In the book of Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, once again, writing to the followers of Christ in the city of Ephesus, he says, God's purpose in all this was to use the church. That word church has nothing to do with brick and block. It is a Greek word, ekklesia. It means the ek out called assembly. It, it is those that have put their trust in Christ, stepped out of the rest of the world to become fully devoted followers of Christ. The church is you, it's me, it's the people that are Jesus' followers meeting together as his servants, as his body, as his future bride, and so forth. God's purpose in all this was to use the church, you, me, us, to display his wisdom in its rich variety to to who? To all the, what does it say? Unseen, we're, we're in a paradox about seeing the unseen, into all, for all the unseen rulers and authorities and where are they at heavenly place this is really interesting terminology Um, it's it's indicating that there are highly sophisticated organized governmental structures throughout the universe that have existed before human beings were brought into existence ancient angelic civilizations The, the the question you know is there life in the universe Call them extraterrestrials, call them angels. I don't care what you call them. The Bible from the start is crystal clear that these ancient beings that are made in the image of God just like we are, they have always existed. They're way more sophisticated than we are, way more powerful than we are, been around much, much longer. But here's the irony. The Bible also teaches that once you and I as followers of Christ are uh, recipients of our resurrection body and God turns on all the circuitry up here it says that we will be superior to them and we will partner with them in serving God and whatever his intentions are in the universe for the rest of eternity they, they will be kind of our, our, our co-labor so to speak but we right now our lives one of the purposes of our lives and the difficulties and trials and ups and downs and faithfulness and unfaithfulness and all these things that we never give a much of a consideration of is that we are teaching these ancient angelic beings civilizations things about God 
that they would not ever know were it not for us. One of the things, I, I did, took this too far in the early service, I won't do it now, but, but one of the things is, why did God allow evil to exist? And, and the reason you've heard me say again and again, he's allowing evil to exist in the first place so that he can abolish it fully forever. But I think that's one of the things that these angelic civilizations are very interested in. Anyway, when you go through ups and downs in life, if you know that maybe when you can't figure out, I don't know why I'm going through this. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. And sometimes in this life, we don't always see why we go through what we go through. But if we remind ourselves, wait a minute, God's testing my faith. And, and I know it's positioning me for functions and positions in eternity. And I know that somehow I might be influencing some sophisticated angelic civilization who are giving great careful observation to how we on this earth that follow the creator how we function and how we function when the difficulties are present so so all this in, in meaning and purpose so when we know these things when we have these certainties they create something that that i like to call and it's a good word enthusiasm um, enthusiasm is an interesting word it's a greek word it's it's in theos it, it, it means to be God possessed or possessed by God or God inspired uh, enthusiasm means that that I you we can be energized by God in other words we, we can feel inside and be motivated and energized by the way God feels if I'm thinking like he thinks and I'm feeling like he feels I'm gonna I'm gonna feel this energy this move this drive this this um, kind of ceaseless energy to move toward that which is good that which is right I'm gonna be frank with you this is not a boast this is just the truth God's honest truth I'm not gonna tell you how old I am but most of you know how old I am I'm really old <laughs> I'm, I'm older than I look I'll put it like that but since age 23 when I first turned to Christ and I have been through lots and lots of ups and downs many of which I have caused nevertheless there is never ever ever been a time in my life where I did not have enthusiasm I wake up with it but it's not enthusiasm about me it's not enthusiasm about what's going on necessarily in my life it's enthusiasm about these certainties I know I've got an inheritance I know Christ has promised forgiveness of sins and everlasting life I know his kingdom is coming and his will is going to be done on this earth the garbage that we have to live with day in and day out it's going to cease all the scheming and the lying and the violence and the hating it's got a short shelf life it's not going to go on and because of that I have lived with endless daily renewed enthusiasm and it's a heck of a lot better than apathy and lethargy listen to this verse from Isaiah that talks about this this enthusiasm it says those who trust in the Lord will renew be re-energized they'll renew their strength they will soar on wings like eagles they will run and not grow weary they will walk and not faint it's what Isaiah is talking about here is a kind of an energy, a transcendent energy and a transcendent enthusiasm. Remember when we started this message, I had the list of those words. On one side was enthusiasm and beside it was apathy. I had words like certainty and uncertainty. When we have the certainties that Scripture promises us, these unseen certainties that we just read about in 1 Peter and Ephesians 3 and so forth, when we know, when we know that everything that happens to us in life, it has meaning and has purpose, whether I get the explanation of it in this life or not, God has promised me that it has meaning and has purpose. I can go through whatever it is. I can go through it with enthusiasm and energy, and that's a much better quality of life in the here and now. I'm trying to say this. 
when we start to see and live in light of the unseen realities that God talks about and promises in his word it it changes us in the present we become different kinds of people and we function in different ways all right let's go to the second side of this so how how do we do this seeing the unseen how can this be done i mean how do you do it so so randy if it does all these great things inwardly right now for us how do you do it How, how do you how do you live in this light how do you become governed by the unseen rather than governed by the seen that's in our face and and all over us each and every day well here we go Romans 1 uh, which which is such a thorough powerful passage one way that we can see the unseen is by using this gift two gifts essentially that God has given to us the capacity for observation you guys have heard me teach this a lot observation and reasoning we because we're made in the image of God we can reason we can observe and reason which allows us to deduce things that we may not have seen. And, I, and I'll give you an example of this in a minute. But let me read this, this verse. For ever since the creation of the world, his, this is God, his, what kind of attributes? Invisible, invisible attributes, his eternal power and his divine nature have been, what does it say? Clearly seen. Love this. Here's the paradox. Invisible attributes clearly seen. How? How do, you, how do you see his invisible attributes? It explains. Being understood, there's reasoning, observation and reason. Being understood through his workmanship, all his creation, the wonderful things that he has made, there's observation, so that they who fail to believe and trust in him are without excuse and without defense. Now, by the way, what that is saying is there's no such thing as an honest atheist. You have people that choose to be atheists because they don't like their conscience being disturbed by the thought that there actually is a supreme being. But this passage is teaching that everything we observe, the existence of the universe, the existence of other sentient beings, the existence of one another, that it tells every human whether they ever had a Bible or not. Matter of fact, I did a series in here years ago called... um, the thinker how many remember that I, I i said we started each message with we're going to set the bible aside and we're just going to use observation and reason and we we started with nothing at all in the universe and then we worked through for six weeks we worked through now each message of course i brought you back to the bible but my point was that verse alone is saying every human being not only knows that god exists but can know what kind of a being he is that he is a christ-like being now some of you are saying that's a stretch man all all, all that's in that verse no 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 it's not a stretch here we go you know and I know there are nice people not so nice people really nice people really bad people so we can observe different human beings human beings we're going to assume human beings at the top of the, 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 the line as far as beings that God has made in his image well if the creator made all of us he would have to be superior to us like us but superior therefore he would not be evil because evil is completely inferior to what is right and good evil can't even exist unless there is right and good right and good creates and causes things to be evil just distorts and takes from them therefore evil is inferior so the creator would have to be superior to evil therefore he would have to be good he would also be better than the best human being that we could ever observe because he's all-knowing he's all-wise he would be better therefore by deduction in just moments he's christ-like so we can see that the creator exists 
because of everything that exists and we can also see his divine nature that he would be a Christ-like being you, 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 you still, let, let me show you how, how simple it is this you, you'll like this well maybe you won't like this I hope this doesn't happen to you so if it does happen to you don't blame me but let's say you go home today and you find your house has been tossed I mean, every drawer, drawer is pulled out. Every paper's been sorted through. They've taken a knife and split your mattress open. They're looking for stuff. You, you, you might have bad things hidden. They split your couch open. You don't even have any place, do you? I, mean, I can tell by the look in your face. Man, you don't know me. I don't, I don't even have a mattress. <laughs> so, so you go home and your house is tossed, all right? Now, you, you, you don't know you don't know what happened you walk in and you see your house everything's wrecked everything's pulled off the shelves drawers pulled up papers are sorted through mattresses ripped like I say your house has been tossed all right now do you walk in and say gee must have been the humidity today (laughs) no you're not Sherlock Holmes but you do know something you know somebody somebody a robber burglar somebody's coming here they're they're looking for your goods they've tossed your place or it might have been the popo looking for your your crack stash it could have been it could have been the popo too but at, at any rate you know you know someone has come in there and destroyed everything that's what that verse is saying it's saying when you look at the universe and sentient beings that fill it you know that nothing listen Everything does not come from nothing. Nothing is nothing. And so you have to have a personal supreme supreme being for something to come out of nothingness. It's no different than this. Uh, How many of you got in here drive a car? Can I see your hands? All right. Which explanation is more rational to you? That your car, the reason it came into existence was that this tornado blew through a junkyard and all the pieces came together. And that's how, how your car came to be. Is that more believable or is it more believable that human beings with a lot of intelligence and a lot of effort and a lot of purpose constructed the car? Well, you know the answer. That's what this verse is saying. Listen, don't give respect to these atheists that want to act like they know so much and they, they intimidate us, don't they? Because let me tell you how much they don't know. The biggest and brightest minds in this universe, they have about 5% knowledge of the universe. Let me show you what I mean. 67% of the universe, they theorize, they don't know, it's constructed of something called dark energy. They call it dark energy because they can see evidence that it exists, but they can't see it. Another 27% is consistent of something called dark matter. Again, they see evidence that it exists because of the gravitational effect on planets, galaxies, and so forth, but they, but they don't see it. They can't say for sure. So, so here's what I'm trying to say. The best and the brightest are acknowledging 95% of the knowledge in the universe, they don't know what it is. They don't understand 95% of the universe. If, if you're going to hire a mechanic, a car mechanic, work on your car, and so I'm, I'm your mechanic now. I'm showing up to work on your car, and I say, I, I'll be honest with you, man, before, before you hire me, I only know like 5% of what there is to know about cars. You won't hurt my feelings. Are you hiring me? No, no, no way. No way. You go to your doctor. You go to your doctor and your doctor says, look, 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 look. Before I take any of your money, I got to tell you, (laughs) I only know like 5% of anything about physiology. I'm not hiring a doctor, are you? No, 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 no. We want someone that has more than 5% knowledge we have uh, brilliant people. I'm not knocking them, 
when at best they've got 5% of the existent knowledge. It's probably actually far less than that if you consider the expanse of the potential knowledge existing in the universe. So don't be intimidated by these people, and particularly the atheists that want to intimidate through high-sounding intellectual arguments. They're, they're bogus. Here it's exposed, right there now. This passage also says there's no excuse when a person is saying like, oh, well, you know, one religion is as good as another, and, you know, if you need God, and that, that's cool, and everybody needs some morals, and I, I just, I'm just going to plug into this because it sounds like a good moral idea. It just sounds like a good way to live. That's also bogus because this is saying that the real God, the real creator, personified, revealed in Jesus Christ has laid out compelling evidences so that no human, it says, is without excuse in rejection of him, even if it means... Uh, embracing in some kind of a vague, moral, pietistic sort of a, a system of religion. Okay, I drifted, I drifted, let me go on. Hebrews 11, the other way that we can see the unseen, the first way we can see the unseen is by reason and observation. We saw that in Romans 1. The second way is we can see the unseen through the eyes of others, trustworthy witnesses. The entire Bible is constructed of individuals that the Spirit of God affected them, led them to observe some things, write some things down, preserve some things, so I can look through the eyes of Moses, I can look through the eyes of David, I can look through the eyes of Peter and James and Paul and Christ himself in Scripture. But the question is, is are they trustworthy witnesses? We do this all the time. You probably have people in your life that if they make a promise to you, you would, you would consider it credible. Then you probably have other people in your life, if they make a promise to you, you're like, yeah, right, okay? So we, we understand trustworthy witnesses that have proven themselves trustworthy often know things we don't know. Once again, the doctor. You go to the doctor. The doctor, you know, does an analysis on you or me. We don't know about ourselves. You go to a mechanic. The mechanic, if you're like me, I, I don't know what the mechanic's saying. And so the mechanic, the doctor, has shown himself to some degree to be trustworthy. So now they can tell me about unseen things. I will see the unseen through their eyes because they are trustworthy witnesses. This is a logical way to live. This is the way human beings have always lived. Hebrews 11, it says, faith or trust is the assurance of things you have hoped for, the absolute conviction that there are realities you have never what? Seen, reality. Look, this room right now, it's full of radio waves. If you have the right device, you can capture them, cell phone, computer, uh, you know, a radio, a TV. Now, through most of human history, nobody would have known that. They always would have existed. There's all kind of gamma rays and other things, too, that are existing, but we don't know about them. Just because we don't know about them doesn't mean they're not realities. You couldn't see COVID with the naked eye either, but you certainly could catch COVID. I know, because I caught it. I was not chasing it, but I did catch it. <laughs> Absolute conviction that there are realities you have never seen. It was by faith or trust that our forebearers were approved. Through faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word, the, the thought, the pure thought, the word of God. Everything we now see was fashioned from that which is, what is the word? Invisible. So, another way we can see the unseen is through the witness of, or through the words of trustworthy witnesses, and we, we have that in Scripture. And God values trust. Because that's all that a finite or infinite being could ever want from a finite being is for us to trust them. Let's go on. 
Colossians 3. Now this is where it gets practical. How, how do I, if, if, if the quality of my life is going to be greatly affected by seeing the unseen, how can I improve my capacity, ability to see the unseen on a regular day, daily basis? Paul, the apostle, once again, he says, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ to a new life, sharing in his resurrection from the dead, this is spiritually speaking, when I put my trust in Christ and become his follower, the old Randy that did his thing, went his own way, he died, spiritually speaking, a new Randy that lives as a follower of Christ, rose up to live a new life. That's all this is talking about. So if you're uh, sharing in his resurrection from the dead, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind and keep focused habitually. Notice it's an ongoing condition. Keep focused habitually on the things above, the heavenly things, not on the things that are on the earth, which have only a temporal value. Now this, this is saying to us, okay, if you know, if you know that there are invisible realities and that they can affect our lives now, beneficially or otherwise, well, fixate, focus, remind ourselves regularly about the heavenly realities that can affect us now. Remember the illustration about the young man being mistreated for 10 years and then he ends up owning the company. He always knew he was going to own the company. He was fixated on that which was unseen to others. When you and I start thinking, okay, I'm going I'm to really start studying God's word for myself. Some of you I'm not trying to offend anybody. But I'm just, I, I greatly, great, you have no idea how much I cherish uh, your willingness to allow me to teach you the Word of God, and, and I will utterly give myself to that end and make it accurate and as um, you know, enjoyable as possible. But, but frankly, if you get into the Word of God for yourself and you become a real serious student, and with all the wonderful study helps we have today, it's not a hard thing to do. You'll, you'll be shocked. You'll still enjoy, I hope, <laughs> uh, the additional teaching that I give. It'll still be meaningful to you, I hope. Uh, but what you will derive from your personal study, it will knock your socks off on how different it is. You'll start knowing God's speaking to me directly through his word. And it will have power that mine doesn't. I wish it would. My, mine will be kind of the icing, I hope, on the cake. But man, you've got to let the Word of God start to get into you, and you've you got to get into it for it to get into you. You have to find a way to do that. So we can immerse ourselves with those that are faithful followers of Christ. That also helps us to keep spiritual reality before our eyes. And it's, it's something as simple as getting up every day and saying, I'm a child of God. Uh, I belong to Jesus Christ. I am his child and I am his servant. Those are two things, man. I always go back and forth in my head. It's a heck of a lot easier for me to see myself as his servant than as his child, as his son. But I know that both are true and I have to work on that. But if we remind ourselves, I'm not a butcher, baker, candlestick maker. I, I'm a servant of God on a, a temporary assignment on this planet Earth. So I'm functioning as a butcher, baker, candlestick maker. But I, I'm a secret servant of God and I'm not supposed to keep it secret. I'm supposed to make it more public. We have to internalize our identity and whatever helps us to keep our minds fixated on these unseen realities, it's gonna affect you. It's gonna affect you right now. Now I'm gonna turn back to where I started. Remember this list? So here we go. Each of us has varying degrees of these conditions. We're either enthusiastic or apathetic. You know, we could look at it on a scale. Uh, we have a sense of purpose, or purposelessness 
We have an understanding. I know what's happening, why it's happening. I know who I am, where I'm going, how to live, what the future holds. I know why the world is as it is. Why people, or we have no understanding. We just throw our hands over. I don't know why things are like they are. We have understanding or confusion. We have hope or hopelessness. And by the way, when I use the word hope, I'm talking about the, that inheritance that we read about, the promises of Christ. I'm not talking about, I hope the weather's nice today. I'm, I'm talking about something that is promised by God. And so it's a hope that is certain. So we have degrees of these. Okay, if you want to increase everything on this side, you want more enthusiasm in your life, more sense of a purpose, understanding of events in life, greater hope, greater certainty instead of uncertainty. If, if we want these on an increasing scale, you must, I must, we must increasingly focus on the unseen. We must focus on the promises of God. We must remind ourselves we are, um, the book of Philippians 3, 20, 20 says that, that we are citizens of heaven. Uh, that's our real home. That's our real kingdom. It's a real place. Until it becomes real in here and we fixate on it, these things will be drifting, moving back and forth, and we can drift on any day or any week toward the dark side, the negative side of these. All right. It was a series of movies, or, or, or a movie that they made into a series, but there was only one that was worth seeing, and that was, and that was the very first one, The Matrix. The first Matrix, how, how many, just curious, how many saw the first Matrix? Yeah, that, that was worth seeing. The rest of them just don't waste your time. First Matrix was cool, was it not? You know, dodging his bullets. And, um, but that's not really what was cool about it. It was the storyline of the Matrix. And uh, it was about this false world, this false reality that had been pulled down over the eyes of everybody living. So everybody thought they were living in reality, but they were not living in reality. In fact, reality was, was so far removed from what they were experiencing. They thought they were going to work and eating steak and doing all these things. They weren't. It was all projected in their minds. They, in fact were living in these little pouches and these machines were sucking energy out of their biology to exist and that's what real reality is but you remember the, there's one scene everybody remembers if you saw the movie when Morpheus and Neo you know they, they have that that tense you know confrontation and so Morpheus says all right two pills the red pill or the blue pill right everybody, everybody remembers that scene the red pill you see beyond the matrix you see the unseen take the blue pill you can live the same way you've been living oblivious to invisible reality most human beings that have ever lived were oblivious to unseen realities that you and I are familiar with because of technological development nevertheless the blue pill or the red pill the red pill brought you into reality now it was not a pleasant reality but at least it was reality. Today we have a pleasant reality. God's here, spiritually speaking, saying, I want to give you guys the red pill. I want every one of you to take the red pill. There is a reality so grand. You are so dearly loved. You have such purpose ahead of you. You have such an inheritance. It's going to knock your socks off. You're not going to believe how good it is. You're going to wonder why you ate all those healthy things and, and didn't check out sooner. When you, when you say... <laughs> But he's saying, man, you're not going to get derived the benefit now that you need to stay enthusiastic instead of apathetic, to stay faithful instead of drifting unfaithful, to, to understand what's going on instead of being confused. You, you need to take the red pill now. You've got to enter into reality. 
you've got to fixate for the rest of your days on seeing the unseen or that that matrix will swallow you up and before you know you're going to be reacting to this temporary world that's full of meaningless pain and suffering and we'll all scratch for that one little taste of pleasure that we can grab for whatever short time it is and whatever means we must take to derive it that's a pitiful way for a human being that's made in the image of God to live so I hope I hope everybody in this room will take the red pill and we'll leave here today determining by the grace of God I'm going to start learning how to live with a governing frame of mind of seeing the unseen I'm going to live in light of the promises of God because those promises are based on the very word of the creator himself who rose from the dead to show that these are not idle promises let's pray Father what a joy is ours to be your people what hopelessness what, what a dark hopeless existence it would be if this were all there is and if this was as good as it's going to get we so treasure your promise that it's going to be better beyond what we can ever imagine. You, you've promised us a world where there's no more sin and sorrow and sickness, pain and death, that every suffering here is going to have meaning and purpose and it's going to have eternal ramifications that are good. We, we are headed for a world where your love fills every heart, where there's nothing but kindness, nothing but goodness, nothing but brotherhood, nothing but family, where there's no such thing as fear, no such thing as sorrow or death. And we just need desperately your Spirit's help that we can keep these things in the forefront of our minds, that we can live effectively in this world that is far from easy to live in. We ask your help, Father. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen.